Hi, Sandy Rios with you of Sandy Rios 24-7. Today, we're going to go all the way out to Alaska. Yes, we are. And we're going to talk to a young uh, West Point grad who is a state legislator who is has been hounded and hounded and hounded. They're trying to get him out of office for reasons you won't believe, except, you know, you listen to me enough that you probably will believe it. Ironically, his last name is Eastman. And joining us also today is that other Eastman, they're not related, John Eastman, uh, is joining us briefly to talk about the update on his case. Plus, uh, he actually testified at the trial of David Eastman to, tr- to try to preserve his uh, seat in the Alaska uh, State House. So uh, this is really interesting stuff. Uh, let's just say we talk about communism, the SPLC. Uh, the fining, the uh, the lies, the unbelievable accusations. Oh, it's a good one, is it? It's a good one. You'll want to hear it. All right. But before we get to that, let me just thank Preborn for being our sponsor. Uh, according to a recent report, by the way, Planned Parenthood continues to rake in billions of dollars. The left always has money. They always, it's money, man. They make it hand over fist. Some of us wonder, uh, you have to remember that they live for this moment. They don't believe in eternity, so they have to get everything now by any means necessary. So that's what they're doing. Planned Parenthood is raking in billions, uh, but not as many people are seeking abortions because of the laws that are changing around us. And that's a problem to them. Uh, and that's why they hate preborn. Preborn provides ultrasounds in some of the worst neighborhoods and areas of this country. Uh, and those ultrasounds, when those moms in trouble are inconveniently pregnant or in distress by a, some situation with a family member, um, an ultrasound will dissuade a woman over half the time from taking the life of her baby. And that's how preborn saves lives. And they talk to their moms about redemption, about who God is, about his plan for life. It's it's really a wonderful way to save life. If you'd like to help, it's $28 for one ultrasound. That's $28 for one ultrasound. All you have to do is go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. And meanwhile, back at the ranch, if you want to call us, you can call us at 662-821-2040. That's 662 You can find us on Facebook at Sandy Rios 24-7. And you can listen to us on any podcast platform that you like. AFR.net is our home. That's our home turf, AFR.net. But if you have any problems listening from any of those areas, you can go to SandyRios.com, SandyRios.com. And that's a good way to tell your non-podcasting friends how to listen to the show. Well, uh, this is a complicated show again, something I doubt you've heard. I just doubt you have. Uh, That's why I'm doing this, because I want you to be aware and informed and share it with your friends who are in other parts of the country so we can become what our founders envisioned as an informed citizenry. All right, sit back and relax. This is the next edition of Sandy Rios 24-7. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice, 
not social justice, but God's justice, what's right and what's wrong. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association, a pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. Let's be clear on this point. It wasn't just that they asked for a pause. Uh, the president uh, specifically asked me and his gaggle of, uh, of crackpot lawyers asked me to literally reject votes, to, which would have resulted in, uh, in the issue being turned over to the House of Representatives and literally chaos would have ensued. This is Sandy Rios on Sandy Rios 24-7. I just, that's the voice of Vice President, former Vice President Mike Pence. And uh, I thought it was a fitting introduction, at least to the first guest, uh, the crackpot lawyer known as the University of Chicago graduate from law school, John Eastman, uh, the former head of Chapman Law School, constitutional expert, but a crackpot attorney, according to Vice President Mike Pence. John, thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks, Andy. Uh, he should probably read his own uh, general counsel's deposition before the select committee in the House of Representatives who specifically said under oath that I did not advise uh, that he simply reject the votes, that I asked for a delay, as the legislators from from all of the swing states were asking for a delay so they could assess the impact of what even Pence himself acknowledged was illegal conduct in in the holding of the election. Uh, So his own general counsel confirmed. uh, He actually says, did you hear that, Mr. President? Eastman doesn't think he should just reject the electors. We're asking for a delay. Yes. And so on account of that, you are in deep waters because the world has turned upside down. And so, John, um, we're, I just, we, you and I are going to have just a brief conversation because you have brought to my attention a completely different situation that we want to talk about today. But before we do that, because you're a good friend that I admire so much, and we have talked frequently about your situation. When last we spoke, you were on trial, if that's the right word for it, at a hearing determining whether you could keep your law license. Tell, Please tell us what happened with that and where it stands right now. Well, uh, the judge originally scheduled two weeks of trial. We went through the two weeks, and they haven't even finished calling their own witnesses. So we've got another week scheduled uh, toward the end of August and probably a fourth week sometime in September. And, uh, you know, you can, and we're, we're now learning that there are all sorts of law firms helping the, uh, the state bar. Uh, there are paid consultants. They're spending hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to make my bar license a referendum on the 2020 election. And, of course, we're having to spend an equal amount in, uh, in response to that. It's 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 an example of what I'm calling asymmetric lawfare. And we're going to talk a lot more about another example up in Alaska with David Eastman, no relation to me, uh, but uh, but that he's going through the same thing. Uh, yes. they, they, they deploy, you know, they file a complaint, and then they get the resources of the state uh, to then do all the investigation and to force you to respond to it without state resources. It's a, it's a asymmetric lawfare. You know, that is something that... I've watched the left do for decades now. I've been on the air or radio and television, and that is that they use public money to destroy their enemies. That's what they do. They don't pay, ever pay a price, and I mean literally out of their pocketbooks. They don't ever pay a price. And so um, you've paid a great price. 
because of your stand on that January 6th uh, day on that platform next to President Trump and for refusing to recant. How dare you, John? I've got a theme going right now. I mean, it's like, this is my theme. I know we're supposed to say the earth is flat, but we really do know that the earth is round and we will not recant. The earth is round. And uh, there were problems on the, in the 2020 election, and uh, we did constitutional things to try to set it right. Uh, now the lawless left is uh, rewriting all of this, and we don't care because we know that the earth is round. And so with that, John, you did bring to my attention uh, the story of our next guest. who We're going to introduce him in just a second. And ironically, you guys have the last name. You said that same last name, which is really funny. Did you get, I mean, have you talked about that? Are you sure you're not, you know, related in some way? <laughs> well, we, we haven't, uh, we haven't discovered any connection, but uh, you know, it was a, it was a common name in old England. So uh, no, no doubt that there are lots of these ones running around. <laughs> All right. Okay. So David Eastman is our next guest. He's waiting patiently. Uh, and before I actually introduce him, John, can you just give us a summary, a brief summary of what's happening to him? So back in the, in the mid to late 2000s, uh, David signed up as a life member of an organization called Oath Keepers, which is former military, former law enforcement who are committed to upholding their oaths to the Constitution and holding other people uh, who violate their oaths accountable. This is, I think is a good short summary of what the mission statement of the of the organization was. Uh, and uh, and anyway, some old keepers went into the Capitol on January 6th. So there was a move afoot to try and claim that that was an insurrectionist organization trying to undermine rather than uphold their oath to the Constitution, contrary to what the explicit language of the organization is. And there's a provision in the Alaska Constitution adopted in the height of the McCarthy era in the 1950s that says uh, you're, you're ineligible for office in the state if you belong to a me- if you're a member of an organization that has advocated for the overthrow of the government. So they claim that those couple of oath keepers that went into the Capitol meant that the organization advocated for the overthrow of the government. Preposterous. Uh, and then they and they filed a complaint against David Representative David Eastman, who won his reelection handily, um, and uh, and and it, it dragged on for months and months and months at large cost to David in legal fees. The legislature determined that it was not a legislative uh, action, and so they couldn't defend him with uh, with legislative counsel. Uh, so he had to be on his own. And then they're now determining that it is legislative action in, in progress, so he's not allowed to raise money for it without it be, being considered uh, an illegal gift if it's over $250. <laughs> and so he's got he's to raise money to pay his uh, large amount of legal fees because this trial went on for several weeks and had experts and all sorts of things. And you can imagine uh, what full-scale trials cost. And uh, David's got to do it at uh, $249.49 maximum a pop. Uh, I, I did some back-of-the-envelope calculations, and if he had 600 people that would give that amount, uh, he, w- he could retire his debt. Uh, this, you know, think about the Spartans, 300, defending against the uh, Persian attack at Thermopylae. So double the Spartan effort, and David can, <laughs> David can get back to his life and doing the things his constituents elected him to do. All right, so you are involved. You testified for David, so let me now just... Uh... Before I introduce him properly, 
Let me just say, David, you're very patient. So thanks for joining us. I know it's, it's what time is it in Wasilla, Alaska? Well, right now it's just shy of 10 o'clock in the morning. Okay, well, so not so early. So no sympathy for the early morning then. But uh, David, um, uh, allow me for a second to read a bit of your bio. I just want people to know uh, a little bit, get a glimpse of how you've spent your life. You were part of the Huntington Beach Search and Rescue Team. You were crew chief. Yes. Then you went to West Point as a cadet. You graduated. When were assigned to Alaska as a lieutenant in the U.S. Army Military Police Corps. Uh, you deployed to Operation Terminal Fury, Operation Enduring Freedom. You trained soldiers at the U.S. Army National Training Center. You went to Afghanistan. Uh, you, uh, one of your final assignments, Simons was on active duty at the Anti-Terrorism Force Protection Branch as the Anti-Terrorism Force Protection Branch Chief the Armed Forces Presidential Inaugural Committee, and that meant you planned and executed the 56th Presidential Inaugural Ceremonies. You left active duty, you went to Oxford, um, you returned to the United States, and you got uh, you completed the John Jay Fellowship at John Jay Institute. You've served as a military police officer, as a firefighter, as an EMT, and a member of the National Ski Patrol. You were also Deputy State Director for the Trump-Pence Campaign. You were campaign manager for U.S. Senate candidate Joe Miller, who I remember trying to help myself. Uh, you got your master's in apologetics from Biola University, and for people listening to me, they know what that means. That's a, the ex, sort of the extrapolation explanation of Scripture. There's a whole lot more to say about you, but that's the short version. So, David, um, now, now that I've said that, I want people to hear a news report describing you a little differently. This is from KTOO. Clip one. It's argued periodically that it's actually um, a cost savings because that child is not going to need any of those government services that uh, they might otherwise, um, you know, be entitled to receive and, and need based on, you know, growing up in this type of environment. Through the chair, I'm not even sure how to answer that, that there's a cost saving to, for de uh, to the death of a child. The impact that that has on a family and us as a society when a child is lost, especially to child abuse and neglect, is unmeasurable. That was Monday. And by Wednesday, Representative Eastman's colleagues put forth a motion to censure him on the House floor. The outrageous accusation that somehow I and members of my district support the extermination of people or support child abuse when I've staked my entire political career arguing for the opposite Point of order, is not members. acceptable in this body. 35 yeas and one nay, the motion has passed. Well, that was actually the second time, David Eastman, third term uh, Alaska legislature congressman was censured. The first time was over a statement on abortion. I'm not even going to spend time on that one, but you see how this goes. They play a part. They always accuse you of what they do. Somehow <laughs> they can be all about abortion and dismantling babies in the womb, but if you say anything uh, that they can twist, they will. And it sounds to me like, David, they twisted your words. You want to say a word about those censures before we go into what's happening now? Well, certainly. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate uh, beginning, I think, within my first three months of my freshman year in office, um, censures in, in my state became, you know, a popularity contest. And, and if you are going to align yourself 
um, with conservative principles, if you're going to stand, you know, consistently against the woke agenda, then, you know, you're persona non grata. Uh, everyone needs to censure you. If they don't vote to censure you, then, you know, they risk putting themselves in the crosshairs. Uh, and that is, is certainly the case with the most recent censure as well. Um, you know, certainly uh, the committee that I was asking my question in is a Republican-controlled committee, and you're not allowed to ask questions unless you get permission from, you know, the chair to do so. Uh, and, it, you know, up until the time to uh, target me, uh, everyone agreed that it was a fair question and um, it should have been answered. But, uh, but of course, all that changes once the, the, the guns come out and they start shooting at you. Yes. So you were not advocating for the death of children because it would be good for the, the uh, budget. You were repeating speculation, statistics, as I understand it, that that was actually true, that services wouldn't be rendered. But you weren't advocating, but they took it, uh, they took it and ran with it and accused you of wanting children actually, it's, dead. It, it's far worse than that uh, because the presentation that they had just finished giving us was putting a price uh, dollar tag on uh, the life of a child. And, and treating children as fungible uh, and talking about being able to predict in the womb before children are even born, you know, what their GPA is going to be, what their uh, value to the workplace is going to be, and just to push back against them and, and invite them to acknowledge that children actually, you know, have uh, inherent worth that is more than just a price dollar tag. Um, that, that was the offense that, uh, that I committed. So, David, then it gets it gets even more complicated. It sounds to me like you've actually, as I think you alluded to, been under attack since right after you were elected. Why, why did they hate you so much, do you think? Yeah. Um, well, you know, in, in my state, um, we have a corruption problem, uh, and I know that's not unique in and of itself to any of the, the 50 state legislatures, but in my state, it's, it's somewhat acute. Um, and, you know, I was the only legislator... Uh, as a freshman, my very first vote was to no, vote no against electing a Democrat pro-abortion, pro-big government uh, to the Speaker of the House position. And, and I'm in a majority Republican state with a majority Republican legislature, but I was the only one that voted no on handy control of the, the chamber over to Democrats. So, uh, you know, for my very first vote out of the gate, uh, I stood alone. That wasn't, you know, what I was trying to do, of course, but that's that's how it fell out. Uh, let me add just a, 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 look, I'm pretty prejudiced in your story, so I know that. So I have to back off and not be your cheerleader and let you develop the story. But I do know something that's quantifiable. You have a 100% rating with the American Conservative Union. Now, I know them really well. I know Matt Schlapp really well. That means something. And that means that you vote 100% conservatively on financial, moral, uh, national security issues. I think you were the only one who voted against something to do with Ukraine. Was it funding? Um, you know, we had a, a resolution which was, um, uh, I guess, poorly timed would be a very generous way of saying it. Now, about three days before uh, Zelensky, you know, publicly outlawed his, you know, rival political parties, the Alaska House, uh, passed a resolution talking about, you know, what a great leader Zelensky was and pro-democracy, rah, rah. Um, I, I voted against that. There was no way that, that I could go along with that. All right, so then, then the plot gets thicker and even more dangerous because then January 6th happened. And you need to know, before I say another word, David, I, we covered January 6th here 
since January the 6th. Uh, I have lots of people listening who are there. I've talked to the, so many of the guys in the D.C. gulag. Uh, I've talked to parents, families, wives, moms. I mean, I, this is an issue that my uh, listeners know well. The one thing, uh, you actually were there on January the 6th, and so why did you go to, the, to the Washington, D.C. on January the 6th, David? Well, um, you know, election integrity has, has been near and dear to my heart since 1996. Uh, the very first campaign that I volunteered for was for uh, a congressman by the name of Bob Dornan, um, the first uh, congressman to use the dreaded impeachment word with reference to uh, Bill Clinton. And, um, you know, they, they wanted to say that he came shy of, of winning re-election by less than 1,000 votes um, after there was a, a very well-known campaign to recruit, you know, illegal immigrants to vote in that race. Um, I got to, you know, be in the campaign office when, um, you know, they reported that uh, his opponent's, you know, husband had just been arrested for stealing campaign signs, you know, that kind of campaign. And, and, and ever since that, just watching the lack of election integrity in that race, um, it's been something that I've fought for and advocated for. Um, and uh, in my state, it, it's a recurring issue where, you know, sometimes the division of election hands the same voter two ballots. You know, we had that, you know, turn one of our House races, which gave the Democrats control of, of the House. So it's, it's been very close to home here in Alaska. Um, certainly, uh, it's not less important at the national level. And I wanted to be there um, in response to the, the president's invitation to stand. Um, to stand and be counted. And, and, of course, you know, many of us who, who went knew that there was, you know, risk of violence and, um, and Antifa and, and lots of other things that, you know, may or may not happen. Um, but it seemed that, uh, that that was the place to go. For, you know, many of the, the stands that I've taken in the legislature, it's not been because we're going to, you know, win a great victory on that day. It's because people need to, to know that you're willing to stand, you're willing to show courage, so that, you know, next year, two years, ten years down the road, uh, maybe like Winston Churchill, people can look back and say, wait, you know, who, who's that guy that's been saying the right thing for ten years and getting beaten up for it? You know, maybe we need to uh, listen and, and um, follow his advice. Yes, yeah, so uh, actually, let's go. So you you went. As I understand it, you did not not go inside. Uh, and we're going to get into the Oath Keepers issue right now. It's so complicated. The Oath Keepers, of course, are the very, very bad, no good group that, according to the left, are uh, white supremacists and insurrectionists. And the titular head of that is a guy named Stuart Rhodes, who was just convicted of seditious conspiracy and sentenced. I can't remember his sentence, but it was amazing. Do you know right offhand, David? Um, no, but, you know, I know the, the charge was something like, you know, 20 years, so maybe he got 18 or something like that. Yeah, it's it's really, really horrendous. Okay, so he is the founder uh, of Oath Keepers. And you now have said openly that you're a lifelong member of the Oath Keepers. So that requires you to tell us, of course, what the Oath Keepers are. What is it? Is it a seditious conspiracy? Is it a, are they, are you guys white supremacists? Do you wear white hoods and burn crosses in black people's yards? Uh, what is it, what is Oath Keepers all about? Well, you know, I, I have to answer that two different ways. You know, one, um, I, I, I paid some money and got a membership back in 2010 when the group first started, but we you know we've never had a, an active chapter of Oath Keepers in my state. Uh, I've never been invited to a, a meeting, um, so I, I can't 
tell you in, in that sense, you know, what Oath Keepers is about. But I can tell you from, you know, the others that, that I uh, know who've been members and been involved, um, those who, like myself, took an oath to the Constitution, um, believe that that oath is still important. Um, it hasn't expired just because, you know, you retire from the military, you, you leave service. Uh, certainly in my case, uh, I'm now in another position as a legislator where the Constitution also required me to take an oath to the Constitution. Uh, and that is an oath that is absolutely worth defending. You know, the, the example that um, I was introduced to when I joined the Oath Keepers was the fall of the uh, Berlin Wall in East Germany. And that happened as a direct consequence, um, you know, obviously on a timeline, but as a direct consequence of members of the East German military refusing to follow unconstitutional orders uh, and put down the, the, the silent protest that was taking place, you know, every week in East Germany. Uh, and then the wall came down two days later. And, and that is the example uh, that I and other Oath Keepers have used. You don't need to, you know, undermine a government or overthrow it in the case of East Germany. You just need people, men and women, serving in that government who have taken that oath to stick by it and honor it, and then uh, then good things will happen. Yes, and just to be, uh, say that in a different way, public servants, my husband is a uh, retired FBI agent. They, judges, FBI agents, public servants of all kinds, uh, pledge their allegiance to the Constitution, or not, not a literal pledge of allegiance, not the Pledge of Allegiance, but they pledge an oath to follow the Constitution, to up keep and it, trans, uh, it transcends any person who's in the office that has nothing to do with that. And as I recall, you know, during the Obama years, there began to be some really uh, soldiers and others were being asked to do things that they felt. Uh, violated their oath to the Constitution, and I believe that's probably, uh, that was the birth of Oath Keepers. Let me bring John Eastman, and John, I don't expect you to be a, an expert on the Oath Keepers, but you probably are, but uh, you came in to testify for David. What can you say about the Oath Keepers, and what can you say about uh, your testimony for David? Well, uh, my testimony was fairly straightforward. Uh, people are at, are uh, uh, have constitutional rights to advocate for changes in government, uh, uh, and that what they were trying to do is paint the organization itself as an insurrectionist group, even though their bylaws quite explicitly say anybody that seeks to advocate for the overthrow of the government is not eligible to be members. Um, and so they were trying, it, it was really a, a, a full-on assault on the First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of association, um, and for, for a group whose mission is just, you know, uh, beyond dispute. I mean, this is what everybody in the country ought to be doing, is insisting that our government officials uh, honor their oaths of office. Absolutely. In fact, I know Oath Keepers is made up of a lot of policemen, military. In fact, David, I don't expect you to know the stats on this, but from following J6, a huge percentage of people that day that came were were former military, were policemen, uh, they were people like you, uh, paramedics, all kinds of people who had sworn, you know, even if they didn't belong to Oath Keepers, they were of one mind that the Constitution had to be upheld, and they were not trying to destroy democracy, they were trying to save it. Uh, what can you say about that? Well, you know, uh, it may be a little bit difficult for, for some of your readers to, to grasp this, but, you know, the experts brought in to um, testify against me, uh, who 
had never talked to, you know, admittedly under oath, had never talked to an actual member of Oath Keepers, um, were, were absolutely convinced that it was a terrible organization. And, and really, they adopted the very traditional Marxist approach that a loyalty oath is, by definition, a bad thing to the Constitution. Um, so you can, you can take the oath because the Constitution requires, you know, all legislators and, and military officers and so forth to take the oath. Uh, all, you know, state-level officials, but you, you're not supposed to mean it, because if you mean it, then you put yourself in the crosshairs. And, and if you go to, you know, a list of, of official goals of the Communist Party, you know, high on that list for decades has been the elimination of the uh, loyalty oath to the Constitution, because, you know, gosh, that, that might, in the case of East Germany, that might inspire you to stand against the communist who's, you know, in whatever executive position or military position issuing orders. And, and that's really what it comes down to, not just for me, but for, for so many other Americans. There were, you know, 40,000 Americans who um, had taken the oath of the Constitution and, and joined Oath Keepers for the same reasons that I did. Yes. Um, so uh, when you take an oath like that, you know, it doesn't. It's an oath, and people cannot comprehend that anymore. They can't. They can't even stay married. They can't even take care of their kids faithfully. You know, people don't know hardly anything about commitment anymore, and that's that's probably putting it lightly. But you had someone. To be clear, what they're trying to do now is remove you from office because of that uh, change in the Alaska Constitution that John mentioned earlier. That uh, person could not. That this was passed during the Civil War that you couldn't be serve in the uh, legislature if you were with an organization that advocates the overthrow of the government. So based on that clause, they're trying to get you out of office. Now, that's not settled yet, is it? Or is it? Yeah. The, uh, well, the, the former governor's chief of staff is still, you know, out uh, trying to inspire, you know, my fellow colleagues in the legislature to expel me from office, you know, based on, on this Cold War provision, um, even though, you know, after, you know, running me through the ringer um, during the middle of a campaign and, and, you know, basically preventing me from being able to campaign uh, for the general election because I was in court or preparing for court the entire time, uh, the, the judge came out and said, you know, oh, you're right, the Constitution, um, you know, says we can't go after you for this. Uh, but, uh, you know, he made it pretty clear where, where his, you know, where he would like to have if, if the First Amendment wasn't standing in the way. And, and experts like, like John weren't willing to, to stand up and, and assist in that effort. Now, going back to your trial, the plaintiff's attorney was Jorian Dudukjian. Uh, and they brought a, a witness, according to what I'm reading here from the Alaska, alaskapublic.org. They brought a witness in who was an expert, they say, a scholar of domestic extremism. Can you say who that was and tell us kind of what that person said? Just curious if you can. Sure. Well, you know, they actually had uh, their entire case was on two uh, so-called expert witnesses uh, from a far left think tank. And, um, you know, we we wanted to point out, actually, John tried to point out in his testimony that, you know, the, the, they're on the payroll of an organization that, um, you know, if you look at the political donations, are uh, pretty much exclusively Democrats and, and whatnot. But the judge uh, said, no, you're, you're not allowed to get into that because, um, you know, we're just going to assume that they're um, – you know, here for good reasons and, and experts and what they say and whatnot. Um, yeah, and so we had to, you know, take quite a bit of time pointing out that, um, you know, these experts 
um, our experts third hand, you know, reading things like the Southern Poverty Law Center's, you know, reports on on who's, you know, uh, anti-Semitic and, and who's, um, you know, conservative and so forth. Uh, and and the fact that, you know, the neither expert ha- had ever attended any kind of Oath Keeper event or, or even interacted with an Oath Keeper member or asked any questions, um, uh, had no idea about all of the, um, you know, community service and, and um, you know, hurricane relief efforts, the organization. They, they had no idea about the organization because all, all they were, you know, commenting on was, the, the left-wing propaganda that had been, you know, leveraged against them, particularly after January 6th. So, John, uh, I know a little bit about this. Southern Poverty Law Center, of course, anybody who uses them for their scholarship is a liar because the Southern Poverty Law Center is a lying group. Uh, they're the ones that make up fake uh, right-wing groups. They, na- they label organizations like mine, the American Family Association, the Family Research Council, uh, we're we're a terrorist group. We are domestic terrorists. We are um, on their list. And the Army, of course, during the Obama years and the Pentagon uh, and the FBI used the SPLC's list of these hate groups, which, by the way, turned out to be bogus. They might be a group of five people in a little town in uh, you know, 300 in Alabama, maybe three brothers, and they would label them a group. And they multiplied their list that way and lied to the whole thing. And now... Uh, this new regime of ours, the Biden administration, is embracing their scholarship again. I just, what can you say about that testimony, That something that we don't know? Well, we used to call it hearsay and inadmissible, and, you know, it, uh, and you, would, you would consider the source of evidence and find that somebody that had such an obvious political axe to grind would not have much credibility before a court. Um, but but this, is, this is what I've spoken about before, this kind of new authoritarian moment in our country where, you know, when the government speaks, we're all supposed to just accept it as if it's, you know, the gospel truth. And, you know, when the government speaks based on, you know, obviously partisan motives, we're not supposed to call it into question. (laughs) Yeah, right, exactly. So, yeah, that's what I said. The earth is still round. We haven't forgotten, and we're not going to. By, by, uh, by the way, I got a wonderful email message, you know, because the, uh, the solar eclipse is coming up in October, or a partial one, and it was uh, the Flat Earth Society's version of the solar eclipse, and it was the moon with a line across the middle. It was, <laughs> it was very, very funny. See, I, so I'm glad. See, I'm really so uh, hip, I guess, and relevant, more than I knew. <laughs> but, uh, David, you've been fined personally. You've been... Uh, you can't raise money, as John just described. You can't have a cap of $250 for donations to your legal defense fund. Here, And here's an interesting thing to me. As I understand it, your court-ordered deposition took place in a courtroom, I'm guessing, uh, beneath a poster of Che Guevara in an office littered with m- mementos to Che and the Black Panthers. Seriously? Uh, you know, I, I, if I didn't have the pictures to prove it, I, I wouldn't believe it either. But, um, you know, literally my, my attorney, <clears throat> Joe Miller, you know, snapped a picture for me in the middle of the deposition. Um, you know, I, I'm sitting at the table, and, and literally there's a picture of, of, you know, Che Guevara hanging over my head. But that wasn't the only one. If you look to my right on the wall, there was another 
um, you know, memento to, to Jay. And if you look to my left on the other wall, there was another one. So, you know, three different uh, memoriams to Jay, and that gives you an idea of, of who we're up against. Yeah, and I have to say, just because people don't know a lot of stuff these days, the Black Panthers were a Marxist communist group. They killed people. They were cruel. I don't care if they were black, and I don't think we should defend people, whether they're white or black, based on their color. They did some horrible things. If you don't believe it, talk to David Horowitz, who wrote, he came out of the leftist movement because of his involvement with the Black Panthers, and they killed a friend of his. Uh, so th this is not a good thing, that you're supporting or praising the Black Panthers or Che Guevara. Now, uh, is it true that a communist Marxist organization uh, is behind this effort to come after you? Is that right? Did I read that correctly? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting. They, they're trying to kind of, you know, put it under the carpet now because it doesn't, you know, help their, their narrative. Um, but, you know, the very first group that, that led the effort, actually a founding member of the, you know, expelled David Eastman from the legislature coalition, um, you know, is a, a, one of the Marxist groups here uh, in Anchorage, you know, their, their Alaska chapter, um, and, you know, it's, it's a social liberation group um, where on their website they specifically say we need to get rid of the courts, you know, we need to have a revolution, we need to overthrow the government, you know, elections, you know, even if we wanted the election box, that'll never work, and on and on and on and on. And it's still, you know, right there on their website, that's still there. Um, and they were the ones who were petitioning the legislature and then, of course, you know, part of the effort and to petition the courts to, you know, protect democracy um, from a democratic election in my district, because they were, of course, trying to overturn uh, not just my election in 2020, but also my election in 2022. So for the sake of democracy, we need to overturn an election, uh, and we need to do this because uh, a Marxist group who believes in overthrowing all elections is advocating for it. Well, I have to say, I said this a lot at this microphone, but I will repeat that the new way to overtake a country is to work through the democratic process. We saw it in Venezuela. Uh, we've seen it in other South American countries. They've learned that they don't have to arm up and go in and kill people. They can just go in and pollute elections and take over. And then when they win, uh, they can take over the Supreme Court, the businesses, and just look at Venezuela. This is the pattern, and this is what they're doing. To be clear, David... You are or are not still a state legislator. I oh, I absolutely am. Uh, at the end of the day, the the judge said, you know, all right, you know, we're going to let your election be certified, um, and I I won, you know, even without a runoff. Um, very grateful for the support, but you know, the, the the truth is, I wasn't supposed to be able to win, no matter how many people supported my effort. I wasn't, you know, uh, supposed to be able to win because they literally required me during the middle of my campaign. It's a state house race. It's not like, you know, I've got consultants I can turn to or, or you know, big money coming into the race. Um, I wasn't allowed to do much fundraising for the campaign at all. I mean, it's entirely, you know, focused on the the um, uh, the court case. And and during the middle of that campaign. The, the judge required me to turn over 30,000 pages of, of, you know, mostly personal correspondence, emails, and text messages to my former political opponents. Um, and, and to be able to, you know, of course, use that against me uh, politically and legally and in any other way. Um, so by, by preventing me from even, you know, going door to door in my, my district, uh, by keeping me in the courtroom, you know, the entire time, I wasn't supposed to be able to win. I'm, you know, I'm not supposed to be in the legislature right now. 
Um, you know, that I'm there is, is you know, I thank uh, God above for, for that privilege. Um, but it, it continues to be the case where, um, you know, there is very little to no respect for elections from the left. Um, if uh, election goes their way, great. If it doesn't, then, you know, it needs to be resisted and overthrown in the courts or in any other way that it can be. Um, and so, you know, just to be able to continue to stand as a conservative voice in, in the legislature in my state, I, I'm now obliged basically to become, you know, much less the, the um, you know, legislator model. I'm, I'm now uh, a missionary model where I have to go and I have to raise non-campaign support um, you know, from, you know, supportive Americans some, somewhere in the country uh, just to be able to afford uh, to do this so that my, you know, so I don't go bankrupt. I mean, the 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 price tag for this lawsuit was over $250,000. And as John mentioned, you know, they're, they're also trying to come in and say, you know, yeah, they could, you know, spend as much money as, as they wanted against you from whatever sources, you know, that came from, because that's fine. But if you want to go and you want to actually defend yourself and, uh, and try and pay those bills, you, know, you, you can't accept $250 from anyone. You can accept $249.99. Um, and so what that does for, for someone like me and my family, it means uh, I need to go outside of my district and in many cases outside of my state to find uh, those who, um, who want to defend my election, who want to um, you know, unfortunately pay a higher price to allow conservative voices to continue in government. So if people hearing this story wanted to help you, David, how could they do that? Um, well, one of the, there are many ways, of course, but, but one of the easiest is, is to make a donation to my legal defense fund. Um, and you can find that at uh, davidlegal.org. Um, uh, you can make a, a donation there. Uh, you can make a recurring donation, and, and any amount is, is I would be very grateful for, of course. Um, and what I'm I'm really looking for is people who are are, are willing to um, you know be recurring donors, so that at some point after I pay off my legal bills, I can go you know back to others and and you know do the campaign fundraising. Right now, I I don't have the bandwidth to do that. Yeah. We get it. You're just a regular guy who's served your country and not worried about getting wealthy. So now you're getting hit, and you got a family to provide for. So davidlegal.org, davidlegal.org. David Eastman, John Eastman, it's been a pleasure. God bless both of you. You encourage all of us to stand firm. Uh, so when you turn around next time, I hope you'll see lots of us back there, and you won't feel so alone in this fight. Thank you very much. This is Sandy Rios on Sandy Rios 24-7. All right, Sandy Rios back with you. Well, uh, the good news is we still do have some choices. There is still some freedom in this country, and aren't we grateful? Aren't we grateful? Uh, And in regard to our health care, it's great to have choices. Remember when Obamacare was introduced? And people were kind of forced to go on Obamacare. They were dumped off their insurance. It was really, really sort of a wake-up call for where we were headed. Uh, But you still have choices. And if you think you don't, let me tell you about this one. This is Christian Health Ministries. Christian Health Ministries has been in the business of uh, having helping Christians share their medical bills and uh, pool it, pool their resources with this one fund. They, they have over eight, $8 billion in medical bills that they've handled. So this is a big entity, and they're in all 50 states, and they have different plans for you for coverage. 
you know, just like regular medic- medical insurance, except not. But there's different levels of coverage. And so it's in the enrollment period. And I think if you are struggling with your insurance coverage or the cost of it, I think you should check this out. Um, you just go to chministries.org. That's chministries.org. Uh, remember, they're brand new sponsors of the show. So, you know, it's just a way for us all to be a team in, in a different way. Just tell them that Sandy sent you. Go to chministries.org and just search it out, figure out what you want to know, and then I think you can, you know, call them and have a conversation about whether indeed it's a good idea for you to switch to Christian Health Ministries. All right, after this, my sweetheart joins me for a follow-up on that discussion with the two Eastman guys. We'll be right back. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. Representative Cliff Grow was one of the yay votes, speaking with us moments after the motion passed. His statements and his entire line of questioning, and it was, I want to stress not just one question, but a line of questioning, um, both very much bothered me as uh, not only as a parent, but just as a human being. So I just thought his comments and, and his line of questioning were, were, were despicable. Trevor Stores, president and CEO of the Alaska Children's Trust, took part in the committee meeting on Monday and was on the receiving end of Representative Eastman's comments. You, people saw the video. I asked uh, for the question to be repeated, so I understood it, and people have seen my response. Stores wants to keep the story on the mission of the Alaska Children's Trust and stick to the issues, working for and protecting vulnerable children in Alaska. I can't really speak to the intent of Representative Eastman and his question. One of the things that I think everybody in the room could agree on is that children are our most valuable resource. So that's kind of a bit of that uh, report that we played earlier uh, of David Eastman's situation where they censured him uh, 25 to 14. Actually, no, that's not. That's the first censure. The second censure, they censured him 100%. He was the only one that defended himself. And they're claiming, of course, that he he's advocating that it's better for children to die because it costs less for the government. That's basically what they're saying. He, he said, you didn't hear this part, but he said, it gets argued periodically that it's actually a cost savings because that child is not going to need any of those government services that they might otherwise be entitled to receive and need based on growing up in this type of environment. He is not arguing for that. He's repeating what has been claimed. But they jump on it to say that he wants, he thinks it's better if kids die. That's basically what they're saying. It reminds me a lot of what they did to Congressman King in, uh, when they tried to boot him out. It successfully did that. Kevin McCarthy jumped on, piled on too. And they accused uh, Congressman King of <laughs> being a racist on the floor of the House because he started talking about Western civilization. They so dumb cannot distinguish between the definition of Western civilization and racism, but that's what they did, and they convinced because they wanted to get rid of him. They repeated those lies, and he was he lost his election. That's how it's played. But, uh, Bruce, that was, that was lengthy and tedious, but interesting, don't you think? It's amazing to me always how the left can pervert a situation. Uh, what can be bad about taking an oath if it's to defend and support the Constitution of the United States. But the left can find one thing in there that they don't like, and that's that uh, 
if it's if it's necessary, there is a provision in the Constitution to overthrow the government. And so that's what they say Oath Keepers is about. You know, you go to the seat of all wisdom, either Wikipedia or uh, Google, and you ask, what is Oath Keepers? Now, that, when you Google something, you're supposed to get information, not editorial. But when you Google Oath Keepers, according to Wikipedia, it's an American far-right anti-government militia whose leaders have been convicted of violently opposing the government uh-huh. of the United States, including the transfer of presidential power as prescribed by the U.S. Constitution. <laughs> and it states that their ideology is American nationalism, conservatism, crypto-fascism, right libertarianism, <laughs> Trumpism, and white supremacy. Wow. I, you know, I, I, can you repeat that? I want to get my pen out because I want to know what I have to look for here. And, and you know, it, it's the same thing if you go to the Southern Poverty Law Center's uh, website. Same kind of thing. You know, probably by the time we air this show, there will be an Eastman militia put up on the hate groups of the SPLC after listening to what they had to say today. Honey, I, I know Oath Keepers. I know some people that are Oath Keepers. I'm not going to name their names because we live in such an insane place. Why they will be arrested. They took an oath to the Constitution, ladies and gentlemen. They believe they should still be keeping that oath. It's nothing more than that. Uh, And Oath Keepers, according to uh, Stuart Rhodes, who was the founder, uh, went to D.C. on January the 6th to defend and protect speakers and officials in that uh, big, in that huge crowd. A lot of those guys, military guys, went in their, you know, their military gear with that in mind. And they did that because you and I both remember, Bruce, how Antifa and uh, others, Black Lives Matter, attacked innocent people. They did that uh, at, at the night of the Trump inauguration. You and I were there. We were there. We were there for inauguration day in that crowd. Uh, and we knew that the night before, they attacked people coming out of an inaugural ball. Attacked them. So, And then it got only worse from there. And so uh, they came because they didn't think that they silly them. They didn't think that the D.C. police would protect people who came to rally for President Trump. I don't know where they got that idea. But that was why they went to the Capitol on January 6th. You know, the irony of this is that these people that are going against the Oath Keepers, the left, Democrats, whoever you want to name, the Oath Keepers will be the first ones that would defend those people if their rights were violated. If someone was attacking them physically, Oath Keepers would be the kind of guys that go in and rescue these people from the left, regardless Mm -hmm. of what anyone's political beliefs are. The left would not be there to rescue an oath keeper, no matter how justified it would be, I can guarantee you that. You know what I just thought of? I was just thinking, who's not an oath keeper? Someone I know who's not an oath keeper. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I'll just say that since Vice President Pence has, uh, about the first or second week he was in the White House as Vice President, he threw Lieutenant General Flynn under the bus uh, over you know, a conversation he had with the Russians that was completely legitimate. He did that. We know that now from transcripts. And now he served with President Trump as his vice president. He talked a good game like he was a loyal soldier defending him, and now 
He's very quick now that he's, you know, he's kind of sees the lay of the land. Now he's coming out after him. I'd say that Mike Pence does not qualify as an oath keeper. What do you think? No, he, in my opinion, has violated his constitutional duty because he was given options on January 6th to um, delay proceedings just to let things shake out and really find out if the votes were there or they were not there. But instead, he chose to just turn tail and run. And now, like you say, that he's a candidate running for president, though barely in the, in the race from what I can see, um, he has figured out that the way to make himself set apart as a candidate is to go after Donald Trump and to say that there was no reason that Donald Trump should have done anything that he did on January 6th and that he's a criminal. And it's just, just a, talk about a Judas. Yeah, not good. Not an oath keeper. Okay. Well, honey, thank you. On that cheery note, um, I want to take a moment to thank my sponsors. And, of course, Preborn has been our number one sponsor. They signed on with us the first week where we were on the air. Uh, they have rescued, by the way, since we've been talking, uh, over 200,000 babies from abortion. Every day they save 200 babies' lives. And they... Can't do it, though, without your help. And the reason they've done so much is because of you. If you would like to help Preborn supply an ultrasound, go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. And also, I want to thank my new sponsor, Christian Healthcare Ministries. Thank you, thank you, thank you, you guys who work so faithfully there to provide good health care for people. CHM is the longest-serving health cost-sharing ministry and has been around for over 40 years helping helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org, that's chministries.org, and please tell them that Sandy sent you. All right, I hope you enjoyed today's version of Sandy Rios 24-7.